the thing that concerns people the most with a high-fat diet is that it'll give them a heart attack. While it's officially recognized now as a diet that can be used for losing weight, American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association both say that. They say just use it for losing weight. Don't do anything more than that. It's too dangerous. Or at least we don't know what the dangers are. What would you say to that? Well, you know, I was taught the same thing. Uh, I was taught that fat in the diet was related to heart disease and stroke and, and actually caused those things. I remember growing up being shown pictures of fat in the diet and fat on the arteries and, and then therefore, you know, see, it, it causes it. <laughs> um, well, the science just hasn't shown that to be true. So study after study has shown that by eating more fat in the diet, you actually lose weight, your good cholesterol goes up, um, it just has not been shown to be true in randomized controlled trials. So I think what's happened is we've raised the level of evidence of science so that we're able to get a clearer picture of the relationship between diet and health, in this case, cardiovascular disease. And it, it just ain't so. <laughs> Fat in the diet is not the causal factor that we were led to believe. Is it the kind of fat that means that it doesn't cause a danger, such as olive oil is safe to use for eating, but saturated fat, butter, the saturated fats in pork and meat are not safe? Well, again, that has been a, a turn uh, has been turned upside down. So that we were taught that there were these healthy natural fats and unhealthy natural fats when it turns out that the culprit really was the man-made fats. So the trans fats, the, the man-made fats, seem to have been put out there without enough testing. I mean, it's hard to really know until you follow people over a period of 10 or 20 years. So that even the saturated fat that we eat, the, the butter you were talking about, bacon, uh, meats that have higher levels of saturated fat, I mean, they have monos as well. But it turns out that natural fats are dealt with in our body in a healthy manner which kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, that um, man-made things you're not sure about till you see it in people for a while. So even saturated fats are turning out to be healthy. Now let's look at that a little bit closer. Man-made fats, the molecular quality of the fat is changed by how we manipulated a fat so that it can become more stable, has a longer shelf life. But it's my understanding that heating fats up makes them more like man-made fats so that cooking high heat with fat, could that also cause a problem? Well, I, I think so, but to a smaller degree. In the big picture, I would rather have people eat and cook with natural fats than to not eat them, you know? <laughs> to, but I think you're right. The advanced course, to eating this way for a lifetime, you'll want to pay attention to how the fats are handled as you cook them, absolutely. But the first message we're trying to get out in the new Atkins book, that's natural fats are not as bad as we thought. In fact, they're healthy. They're not even not bad. They're healthy. But you're right. How you handle the fats when you cook them and the advanced course of this, uh, I think, is important. All right, Eric. The reason that we've started here with the fats is because this is indeed a high-fat diet. Oh, right. The new Atkins diet is consistent with the old Atkins in the way that it is higher in fat than what Americans typically are eating now. You know, it's all relative, right? <laughs> if you compared the Atkins diet to some populations on Earth, it's not high fat, but it is more fat than Americans are accustomed to eat. And, and as you were saying, as we were taught to be healthy, it's higher in fat, but it turns out to be actually healthy. Compared to the American diet today, it's a high fat diet. 
Maybe not compared to how the Inuit, the Eskimos, ate, or the Plains Indians or the Maasai. It's not as high fat as that, although it could be if somebody wants it to be. Right. My understanding of how things are shifting is that we should be talking more about blood sugar and glucose. And the fat in the diet does not increase blood sugar and glucose. So fat is really kind of off scot-free. It's handled very differently, and we use it in a very healthy manner. And we should be focusing on the things that have been introduced since the Native American and the Inuit and the, the Maasai story. You know, the westernized foods are the ones that are full of refined carbs, and these are the things that raise the blood sugar. So, yes, there's a history of populations that have eaten high-fat diets, including on our own soil, and they were very healthy. Now that we've talked about the fact that this is a high-fat diet, let's talk a little bit about you in terms of you being a scientist, how did you get interested in this realm of science for health? About 1998, if I take you back to my clinic, I was a, a young internist in the Durham VA Veterans Affairs Medical Center, and I was in a research training program of clinical research. So I'm learning different clinical methods and how to do statistics, things like that. And two of my patients came in having lost a lot of weight. I guess I was a unique internist in that I was interested in prevention. I'm finding that's not always the case. But being prevention-minded, I thought, well, this is great. They lost weight, and so I asked them how they did it. And they said they both read this little book, the Atkins book. And I said, I didn't know what it was. Uh, you know, Show me one. You know, I didn't even want to buy one. Uh, I was quite skeptical. And so one of my patients brought one in, and I, I read it. And I said immediately, well, I'm going to send you to the lab because I know your cholesterol has gone up. Yeah, this is what I was trained. This is where most of physicians are today, even dietitians and nutritionists. They're going to assume that the cholesterol went up. Well, I had the chance to check the cholesterol, and in, in two cases, two in a row, the cholesterol had gone down. There was a, a weight loss and a favorable change in cholesterol. So I, I got curious. I went to the bookstore, and there were actually a lot of low-carb books there at the time. The one that stood out was the Atkins Diet because my patients had done it, and that there was actually a clinic in operation. So I contacted Dr. Atkins, and he invited me and my staff up to his clinic in New York. This is now about you know, 1999, and the clinic worked. The diet, I saw it in action. People were losing weight. I saw their labs. They let me, as a physician interested in their practice, I looked over the shoulder of Jackie Aberstein, one of the nurses, and saw the charts and talked to people. And it was really amazing to see it working. And yet what I had heard is that it couldn't work and it was unhealthy. We asked Dr. Atkins to fund a study back at Duke University and the Durham VA Medical Center, and he did. It was a very small study, and it was positive, and we then went back and said, well, you know, you need to do another one to be able to say that it was replicated, these findings were replicated, and that there was a randomization in order to eliminate or reduce bias in the, the study itself. So they said, sure, we'll fund another one. <laughs> so at that time, Gary Foster at Penn was doing another study, same basic design, but funded by the National Institutes of Health. And that study, our study, and many, many others now have come out in favor of the low-carb diet. You know, the 
Atkins' approach was really one that came out of clinical care. Looking into this, Dr. Atkins went back to the 1970s when he first started to use this in his own clinic. And it's just that the science, it took a long time. I think because, as you pointed out, the fear of fat in the diet, scientists were actually afraid of studying this method as well. Now let's look at that a bit more closely. Dr. Atkins, who made the famous Atkins diet, he was a doctor. He noticed that in his patients, they got better on a higher fat, lower carbohydrate diet, especially if they were prone to being overweight or having diabetes. But he wasn't somebody who was looking at the statistics as much. He was looking at one example after another of how this worked. That's right. It was more anecdotal what he was looking at. Well, a lot of anecdotes turn into a clinical series, we would call it, but it wouldn't be thought of as a scientific study, except, you know, things like in astronomy and certain observational sciences, geology, that sort of thing. You can't do clinical trials, you know, of Earth, you know, so there's observation there. It's not held to the same standard in medical science, though. And so um, he was thought of as someone who was just in a practice and writing books to make money. So the serious scientists just didn't take him seriously. But you, on the other hand, Dr. Eric Westman, you are a public health person, you are a doctor, and you're also a statistician. Right. And so you were looking at it from a different angle. Except I wasn't so overtrained to uh, to not listen. <laughs> um, so I, I, I guess I'm unique, in the, and yet here it's standard practice where the doctors in the clinical science have their own clinic. So I've always had my own patients that I could ask things to and keeps me current, keeps me grounded, and then I try new things that I've learned from the science and it feeds back to writing new protocols, that sort of thing. So I guess I had more than just a skepticism, I had a curiosity. For me, it was just like going to learn from a older doctor in academic medicine. Dr. Atkins really was quite bright, quite smart, and was doing lots of things, including the diet. He just didn't go through the clinical studies that we would expect today. I was trained to expect that something would be tested at the level of a drug, Food and Drug Administration. And now, there's no requirement for that for diets. So a diet author or even an NIH-driven study for diet doesn't have to meet the same bar as a drug does. You have tested these diets, but have you published in journals that are sympathetic to higher-fat, lower-carbohydrate diets? You know, we have 15 to 20 papers published in our group locally. Now there are 50 to 100 around the world published in all sorts of journals. So uh, it, it's actually hard to find a journal that's sympathetic to low carb because that means high fat in their minds. And there's a paradigm view at the moment that fat in the diet is bad. I remember one review from our first paper at a prominent medical journal included the statement that we're not used to seeing studies funded by a diet book author. There's even in, in the scientific peer review system a bias against the funding of someone like this. Hmm, and so studies could be funded by a drug company, and they could be funded by other kind of interests, but the idea that somebody who advocates a diet would fund a study that made people suspicious? It, apparently so. <laughs> For a couple of years there, it was a little bit lonely being the only 
group with a study, and it was funded by Dr. Atkins and then by the Atkins Foundation. But now there have been studies funded by all sorts of organizations, even organizations and investigators who were trying to show that it was bad. One in particular was the University of Cincinnati. They received American Heart Association funding to explicitly show that the diet was bad, and they found that it was good. Meaning that the markers for heart disease, that specific disease that people have been told for a generation is caused by eating a high-fat diet, the markers of cholesterol, the markers of inflammation, went down. They get better. They get better. On the low-carb, high-fat, Atkins-type diet, they get better, and over and over. (laughs) Now, somebody such as Bob Eckel, he's local to our area. He was the former president of the American Heart Association. He's based out of Denver. He told me last year that, well, yes, a high-fat diet, a low-carb diet can help somebody lose weight, and it can reduce some markers for heart disease. It doesn't reduce them all. He focused on the fact that, yes, it does reduce triglycerides, but from his perspective, it does tend to increase low-density lipoproteins, the LDL cholesterol number that still has many heart specialists concerned. I know Dr. Eckel, and we've talked about this, and we have this in Chapter 13 in our new book, the, the New Atkins, is that there's a change in how we look at that cardiometabolic risk. And we talk in terms of something called the metabolic syndrome now. Dr. Eckel's not the only one who, who thinks this way. They, they focus on that one number, the LDL cholesterol in the blood, and part of that's because we have drugs to treat the LDL cholesterol. But what's happened is we focus now on the abdominal girth, the blood pressure, the triglyceride, the HDL, all of these other factors in blood sugar are actually more important than the LDL cholesterol in the blood. So we've actually come around to understand that this low-carb, high-fat diet is a better treatment than the low-fat diet for this metabolic syndrome. Is this represented in American Heart Association public policy at this point? I don't know. I I, I do. I recall a meeting where uh, I presented work in Chicago in 2002, and the American Heart Association took away their strong view that fat in the diet was bad after we presented data that showed that fat in the diet was okay in the context of the Atkins diet. That was uh, some years ago now, 2002. I haven't kept up with their recommendations. You know, recommendations need to be updated based on new science. I have been on recommendation and guideline panels, and you take the information as it comes new, and you revise them. And to hold to a recommendation that's based on old data does not make scientific sense. Hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot of places where the old data, if you will, is still very firmly in place. Our school lunch programs, for instance, where the pride of school lunch programs is the fact that they have low-fat milk to help kids drink more of it. Uh, They flavor it with lots of sugar, and that is something for kids to drink for their health because it's low-fat, and it has calcium, and it has flavors in it, sugar, so that the children will drink more of it. Does that make sense to you? No, not at all. (laughs) Not from the standpoint where we're talking about carbohydrate in the diet being the biggest source of calories. That comes from the old view of fat in the diet having nine calories per gram 
and carbohydrates having only four calories per gram. So if we reduce the fat, we'll reduce calories more. If we just count calories, right? just do the math, and there's more calories in a teaspoon of fat than there is in a teaspoon of sugar. Well, that does make some obvious sense. But if you eat three teaspoons of sugar in response to not having the teaspoon of fat, you overcompensate in calories. And I think that's what happened in the implementation of the low-fat diet message. We didn't stop people from overeating the, the carbs and the sugar. So what you're saying is that, in fact, we may have pushed more carbs, more refined carbohydrates, and more sugars, which did that mess us up in some way? Well, I think so. Uh, you know, the science is pretty clear that insulin in the body is a strong signal for making fat and storing fat. Now, insulin, that's a hormone. Yes, insulin is produced by the pancreas in response to the blood sugar going up. So the blood sugar goes up because of carbohydrate in the diet. And carbs, you can think of them as, as sugars and starches. And starches really are just broken down into sugar in our body. So eating a potato is like eating three or four teaspoons of sugar, depending on how big the potato is. So insulin goes up in response to the absorption of those sugars in the body. And when the insulin goes up, then basically it, it tells the fat, don't break down because we have all this new energy coming in. It sounds like a signal which says, store fat, don't burn it. Right. The insulin signal says, store fat to the liver and, and make fat to the liver and then store fat in the fat cells, the adipose cells themselves. Um, and it's very difficult to burn your own fat, to lose weight, lose fat weight, if your insulin signal is high. And the main reason for insulin going up is sugar and starch in the diet. It's people could step on a scale and they could see their weights going up and they could see that kind of obvious measure, but they're not going to be able to see what's happening to their insulin levels. Right. We don't typically measure that, although some doctors do. Um, if you find uh, bariatricians, I'm a member of the American Society of Bariatric Physicians. It's the medical weight loss group, and many of those doctors do measure insulin in the blood. It can be quite striking to see the insulin response, and most doctors are just totally unaware of it. They're just oblivious because we don't measure that typically. Does that mean in a lot of people who are overweight or even on medicines where they're injecting insulin, for instance, because their blood sugars go too high, that actually the amount of insulin their bodies is producing is incredibly high? Yes. That is a major issue with obesity and type 2 diabetes where the insulin level is really high and so our bodies become less sensitive to it. So that's called, in the medical terms, insulin resistance, where you would think your blood sugar should go down and all, but our bodies just don't respond to the insulin as well as it used to. When you reduce the carbs in the diet and then lose weight, then you can actually fix that insulin resistance. Now, a lot of doctors will tell me that it's the losing weight that makes the difference, that if you stick with say, an Atkins diet, then some of the benefits go away because you're not losing weight anymore. It's the, it, because as long as you're losing weight on a diet, you're going to be better. And once you finish losing weight, the same old problems will come back. Well, I can see why people would say that because the clinical studies don't follow many people until they've lost all their weight. Uh, but in my own clinical practice and the practice and experience of many other people doing low-carb diets, the good effects stay. 
And this is something that the research information is just lagging behind. In my own clinical practice, I've used the low-carb or Atkins-type diet now for about three and a half years here at Duke University, and I've followed many people to their goal weight now. The research studies just didn't follow people long enough to say that. So if you're going to be the strict research scientist and not go beyond what the studies have said, I can understand why people would say that. But what we see in clinical practice is that these benefits still remain, and that's the weight loss, but also the increase in HDL, good cholesterol, and then the reduction in triglyceride cholesterol. All right. So you've been tracking people in your clinic with the more comprehensive blood tests that show some things about what their heart attack risk is, for instance. That's right. And over time, they stay healthy even after they get to their preferred weight, and they just keep eating this way. Yeah, yeah. And it's not really remarkable to me anymore because I think of it as as just going back to eating in a way that my parents, grandparents, it's just taking all the junk food out of the diet. Though when you say junk food, Dr. Eric Westman, most people would think of junky high-fat foods. And that's the name that a lot of nutritionists will tell me. Well, we need to pull fat out of people's diets. Look at the ingredient list and see, oh, it's something with fat. We should have people eating baked chips, not chips that have been fried. No, it doesn't make sense from a obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes point of view. What you want to do is get the sugar out of the diet. So when we look at a burger with a bun, the dietitians here say, oh, that burger, it's awful, all that fat. And I say, ooh, that bun, it's awful. So I tell people to eat the burger without the bun, and they lose weight and their blood tests get better. Now help me sort this out because this is such a different way to look at things. Let's say that somebody has a bag of potato chips, and one of the bags of potato chips is baked potato chips, and the other one is fried potato chips. Now, could someone look at those two bags and say, well, all right, the bag with the fried has more fat, so I can eat more of that because that's safer for me because it's less just plain starch. Is that, would that be a safe way to think through how to eat a higher-fat diet? Not really. First, let me say that you have to figure out how your own body works. There's some people that can handle more carbohydrate, more sugar and starch than other people. So my first response would be, it depends how much potato is in the potato that's been fried a lot. If it's just a whiff of potato, it'll probably be okay. One thing that's happened is there was a selection bias for obesity clinics. So Dr. Atkins saw mostly people who were insulin resistant and obese and type 2 diabetes. And his method, the Atkins diet, works really well for that. Those people are really sensitive to carbohydrate. So even the potato chip with a lot of fat on it. Not to mention the fact that those are probably the most bad oils that you can think of. And it's a nasty mix of probably the worst carbohydrates and the worst fats. We We try to teach people to eat real food. Real food meaning the way Mother Nature intended it, Uh, you know, the foods at the perimeter of the typical grocery store because of that processing that you're talking about. We want people in the, the big picture to not worry about the fat in the diet as long as they're eating the real foods and cutting the starches down really low. I just want to also say there are lots of ways to achieve a healthy lifestyle. Some of your listeners may be wondering, should I do this? Well, you know, it depends if if there's a a problem. I learned a long time ago that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You were mentioning that Dr. Atkins was seeing especially people who had diabetes. They had that round kind of barrel or apple shape. They 
were people who did have problems handling sugars. And so for him, the people who needed the more extreme kind of dietary approach, higher fat and incredibly low carbohydrates, sometimes 20 grams a day, they did better that way. Yes, they did. But in your observations, it's best to know who you are because maybe you don't need to do that. That's right. That's the wonderful thing about having a clinical practice is that I can help people find their own carbohydrate thresholds or their limitations. But what's really intriguing is that even for the people who are following a low-fat diet and doing really well, I bet a lot of your listeners are feeling that way. If there's a food preference, you know, if you're not satisfied with how you're eating, most people could transition to this type of eating and be healthy as well. Some bodies can be healthy under very different conditions because really at, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is metabolism and physiology. Some bodies are, are adaptable enough to eat either a, a low-fat or a high-fat diet. Is it okay to mix and match, go one day eat a low-fat Dean Ornish kind of diet and the next day eat an Atkins high-fat kind of diet. Can you just kind of switch between them? No, I don't think that's a good way to go because the way our bodies work is it takes about five to seven days to shift over to the different metabolism. An Atkins diet, a low-carb diet, we're helping people shift from burning mainly sugar, burning carbohydrate, to burning fat and ketones, ketone substitutes for glucose, basically. And it takes about five to seven days for our body's enzymes and, and cell to really shift over totally. So if you are in a fat-burning mode and then you eat some carbs, then it stops the fat burning for about three to five days. So no, you, you want to choose, I guess, you know, like an ocean liner, choose a direction and go in that direction. Are there some people where they need even more time than five to seven days if the metabolism is shifted so much toward the carb burning, I see this in my own practice where I will keep people at a 20 gram or less carbohydrate intake, which, you know, if you've, if you've never counted carbs, a slice of bread has 15 grams of carbs in it. So if I'm trying to keep someone under... This means a lot of kale and dark green leafy vegetables and salad. Wonderful array of vegetables. There's a myth that it's a no-carb diet, and that's not the case. But no toast no little crackers on the side, no something with a bit of jam. Forget about that if you're going to eat a very low-carb diet. That's right. They're just too starchy and sugary. Um, you know, we hand out a little carb counter book and that has all of the numbers in a, uh, for all these different foods, and it's really just amazing how much carbs are in the foods we eat today. <laughs> Most people come back saying, wow, carbs are everywhere. One thing about the new Atkins is we're acknowledging the new science that says not everyone has to start at that very, very low carb level. Although if you're really sick, you may have to. A lot of people can start at what we call the Atkins maintenance level, which is probably about 100 grams of carbs. This might be just by tweaking what you eat a little bit, by cutting out the two slices of bread to go into one, that sort of thing. And we, we teach people how to do that. Now I'm curious about what people should know about themselves. What kinds of conditions can respond? Let's start with a very low-fat diet. Excuse me. See, I'm doing it too. Let's start with the very high-fat diet the one that has the least amount of carbs in it. Is it just diabetes and being overweight that that can be a good idea to do this kind of diet for? Or are there other medical conditions where there's a statistical and scientific good track record for a very high-fat diet? You know, that reminds me of a, a book I was given by a patient. She was a used bookstore owner and brought in this book 
published in 1921 on the principles and practices of medicine. I'm a bit of a history buff. I was a history major in college, and she knew that. And I looked in there what the treatment for diabetes was in 1921. That was the year insulin was discovered. So this book reflected the management of diabetes before insulin, and it was a high-fat diet. Essentially, the treatment for diabetes before we had insulin or or medicines was a high-fat diet. We went back and reviewed some of the charts of the doctors who wrote about it then, and indeed, the high-fat diet is what was therapeutic for diabetes. Not only diabetes, but metabolic syndrome, which is that cardiometabolic risk, which is the heart disease risk. It's like I'm translating different languages. You know, if you have a low good cholesterol, eating more fat in the diet is a good thing. If you have a high triglyceride, eating more fat in the diet. Well, but you know, hmm, I'm still I'm thinking of the serious health conditions which people get concerned about and are told quite often that they need to cut the fat out of their diet to get better. Uh, For instance, epilepsy, Alzheimer's disease, um, arthritis. Those are the kinds of diseases where people are often told you need to clean up your diet, eat less fat. Oh, well, th- no, that that's not accurate. Um, <laughs> I, I, that must be a holdover from just the low-fat diet fixes everything phenomenon that we've lived through, and hopefully it's run its course. The high-fat diets are a treatment for epilepsy, and this is a line of research done at Johns Hopkins. Eric Kossoff is a young physician there who found that putting people on the Atkins-type diet was useful for epilepsy. You, you um, mean that somebody who's on epileptic medications could perhaps shift to a high-fat diet and some of their symptoms might go away? Yes. And you know, before making that kind of recommendation or, or doing it personally, um, we're waiting for more science to tell us how to do it safely. But uh, it looks like that's the path to go with the effective diet on epilepsy, not only epilepsy, but Alzheimer's disease, heartburn, fatty liver. Uh, uh, heartburn? Heartburn, just a second here, that's another one where (laughs) most people who have heartburn would be told, you need to cut the fat out of your diet and then the heartburn will go away. And you're saying it might be the other way around? I I was in disbelief as well. (laughs) In fact, one of my research subjects who was a nurse came in on a a low-carb diet saying, my heartburn's gone, doc. And I said, well, great. And she said, well, you know, but I, I can give myself heartburn when I eat carbs again. And I said, oh, I looked to the literature in the textbooks. There was nothing there on diet. In fact, if anything, it said, like you said, the low-fat diet fixes heartburn without any real documentation of it. You know, So I asked her to test it over and over in her own body, and you know, she was pretty reliable. In fact, she told the story of the spaghetti and meatballs, and she always thought it was the meatball and the sauce that caused her heartburn. But it wasn't. It was the pasta. So she tested it on herself. Greg Austin, who's a researcher at University of North Carolina at the time, decided to do a study on heartburn and a low-carb diet. And so there are several publications now where if someone goes on a low-carb diet with severe heartburn, the heartburn goes away. The acidity of the stomach goes down within three days. They're holding out, and, and we're holding out before saying this too widespread for that evidence that, you know, like the evidence for a drug, you know, we, we want further studies to replicate it and all. But I see this almost as a routine in my clinical practice now. Maybe those people are just really popping the heartburn pills while they're eating the higher fat foods. Maybe that's why. 
probably because of the higher carb foods. <laughs> They're popping the pills. Can people actually reduce their use of heartburn medications if they shift to a higher fat, lower carb diet? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the fun of my clinical practice now. I was trained like the average internist to prescribe pills. You know, I prescribe a pill for this, a pill for that. And now I take pills away. And actually, heartburn pills are one of the first ones I take away when people go on a low-carb, high-fat diet. Okay, I'm trying to keep track of the list now. (laughs) You said heart disease. You're healthier and less at risk for heart disease on a higher-fat diet. You have less risk for heartburn. Um, You said that Alzheimer's disease and epilepsy might be more reduced Um, the symptoms of those if somebody's on a higher-fat diet. What else was on your list? How about this one? Fatty liver. When when someone says, you have fatty liver, this is usually a gastroenterologist, most people think, well, I need to cut the fat out of my diet. No, no, no. (laughs) It's actually the carbs are turned into fat by our liver. So what you want to do is to either cut the calories down, which a lot of people do, and that's fine, or cut the carbs down. So we have a study, similar kind of story, where we were in disbelief, and yet someone showed a clinical anecdote, and we followed it up with a case series, and the liver fat will go down as you cut the carbs out of the diet. So that goes back to the you know, fat and the food, fat and the artery, duh, you know, it's got to cause it when no, it's more complicated than that. You know, fat in the diet, fat in the liver, no, it's more complicated than that. It's actually the carbs in the foods that turn to the fat in our body. How about conditions such as arthritis or multiple sclerosis? Well, that's a fascinating story. Arthritis is from inflammation. There's a, a you know good theory, and certainly there's some anecdotes, and I see it in my practice where the arthritis just seems to be less painful really soon before any significant amount of weight loss occurs. The arthritis feels better. It's hard for me to know what's causing that. It could just be the enthusiasm of people losing weight as well. But, you know, I'll take it. I don't really care why people are getting better if they're feeling better in that case. Now, multiple sclerosis, I I don't know much research about MS. Uh, Dr. Atkins wrote about MS in some of his books before, and I'd really like to see some science in that area. What would be your theory if it proves to be a possibility that the high-fat diet might be beneficial to that autoimmune disease. What, what might explain that scientifically? Well, what we're finding in the clinical studies is that the high-fat diet compared to the low-fat diets, because they have more carbs than the low-fat diets, is less inflammatory. So that there's less of those things we think of going around in our body with inflammation. So any condition that has inflammation with it uh, even autoimmune would, in theory, be less inflamed. That's the theory behind it. It turns out that ketones and fat, when they're burnt in our mitochondria, our little furnaces in our cells, create fewer inflammatory molecules. So there's actually a sound rationale for why you would want to shift from a carb-burning body to a fat-burning body. And these inflammatory diseases, in theory, should improve. Now, whether the diet itself is going to be strong enough to cure them, I I don't know. Before saying things like that, I'd like to see 
more science, but even cancer is responding in the in animal models to lowering the carb in the diet. Meaning, there's less cancer in research animals that are put on a low carb, higher fat diet. That's right, and which is really exciting because the traditional thinking was that low fat diets were the way to go. But we just had a huge study funded by the NIH. The Women's Health Initiative that did not find that the low-fat diet was helpful in reducing cancer. So it really put a lot of diet people in despair because what they'd worked on for so long didn't have a beneficial outcome. So the idea of reducing calories and reducing carbs as part of those calories may actually be beneficial to reduce cancer growth. That's pretty exciting. Could it be more beneficial to go to the extreme side? Of eating fats, meaning the 80% fat diets where carbs are down at 20 grams a day, and protein consumption is oh maybe 15, 20 percent of the diet, could could that be especially therapeutic? Or if somebody just nudges it up a little bit and goes from eating oh say 20% fat up to 40% fat, which might be more beneficial in these more extreme situations of health and disease? Well, remember, extreme is a, a matter of perspective, right? <laughs>、um, the, the studies with only forty percent fat did not look very promising. The signals are that you would have to go to a higher level of fat intake, sixty percent of your daily caloric intake. At least sixty percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, and that—that's thinking about how the body is working as a furnace that's burning fat. That's what we want in order to get the. Inflammatory cells and inflammatory response to be lower. Okay, there's something、yeah. about 60% fat a day that somehow tells our mitochondria inside our cells, those little furnaces. Okay, I'm in fat burning mode. I can stick with this gear, if you will. I can stick with this way of processing energy and really focus on doing it well. Fat being high and the carbs being low, and the carbs being low, because the insulin will turn off your fat burning, and the insulin goes up as a response to the carbs in the diet. So I, I agree with the addition of fat being high, but then the other calories are mostly coming from protein, which protein is really what our body needs. At the end of the day, you know, if you go for bariatric surgery and they make your stomach really tiny, they want you to have protein. Protein shakes is what we feed people. Well, if I'm afraid of fat, then how about if I just eat like 60% of my calories as protein? Well, so that doesn't make sense. It depends how much calories you're having, or how many calories. If、um, uh, high, it's hard to if you're just eating real food. It's hard to push the protein that high. Now, would it be healthy for you, or would it be kind of stressy on your body? Stressful. Yeah, I think it would be stressful. Some people can do that if they're eating lots of protein shakes, drinking because that's man-made and and the fat isn't in there. But it's it's kind of hard to do that in a practical sense.、Um, it, it's just not very tasty. Is it also something that might actually be stressing your body to eat that much protein? Yeah, you don't want to. Eat so much protein that you're having to get rid of the protein through the kidneys. It will put a stress on the kidneys. Now, in terms of grams per day, over 150, 200 grams of protein per day will put an additional stress on the kidneys. Plus, if you have extra protein that your body isn't using for making your cells and making your bones and muscles, does it just does it make you have stronger muscles, or does it just turn into sugar? 
That's a good point. The protein in the diet can be turned into glucose or sugar. Uh, the optimal type of weight loss approach that I've seen so far, uh, work done by Jeff Volick at the University of Connecticut, is to give adequate protein during the weight loss process so that you're supporting your muscles. Not so much protein, though, that you turn that into the glucose, which then raises the insulin signal and then stops the fat burning. I've got one last question for you. I'd love to talk more, but I know you've got a clinic to go to. But I gather that you're not saying that the whole world should go to eating a high-fat diet, just every man, woman, and child, but that you'd rather see it as an option of one of the healthy choices that people can make with good information. Right, and, and the science supports that now loud and clear, that the low-carb, high-fat, or Atkins-type diet is a viable option. It's a healthy lifestyle, healthy way to go, and we just want to be loud and clear that it, it's healthy and, and scientific. If you had your dream world, if somebody went into a clinic, say a public health clinic, or anywhere where doctors were, what would you like to see offered in terms of diet options? Well, years ago when I first was introduced to the Atkins diet, I thought, how easy was this? As a doctor, I didn't do anything. <laughs> My patients just read the book. So I would like to see healthcare people saying, why don't you go do Atkins? Why don't you go do the new Atkins? Three university professors rewrote the Atkins diet to update it and to give it more flexibility. If you don't have much time, just say, you know, go do Atkins. It's fine. It's healthy. It'll help you a lot. That's one approach. Another approach is just to not give the one-size-fits-all low-fat, you know, just to have lots of different ways. Uh, but, you know, it's time-consuming to help someone change their lifestyle if they can't just figure it out on their own. But then the book is placed that way to help people understand it and to take them through the different phases so they can lose the weight and also keep it off for a lifetime. Would you like to have the health professionals actually be experts in these different dietary approaches so that they don't end up saying something really dumb to somebody about how to implement a high-fat diet or how to implement a low-carb diet and why to choose one over the other? That really depends upon the training. You know, if, if most people had the training I had in nutrition, I'm a physician, I don't want them to say much about nutrition at all <laughs> because I wasn't trained much. And, you know, I probably learned, you know, from the wrong sources along the way until about 10 years ago when I sought out the world's experts on diet. So you admit that you, at one point in your professional medical career, were kind of stupid. Oh, absolutely. Well, some people might argue that today. <laughs> We tried to give the expert, don't worry, we, we had a professional writer help us with this book, so we're not going to put you to sleep like back in school. We really wanted this to be useful for the everyday language. You can, you can be an expert in the clinic by saying, you know, go do Atkins. No diet has been subjected to, to the, this amount of scientific scrutiny before because of the skepticism. And, you know, it's come out scot-free. If it's done right, if it's done at the 60% fat or higher, then it's, it seems to be a healthy diet. Absolutely. We want people to do it right, and that's one of the other reasons for putting out a new book so that we can help make sure people know how to do it using today's foods with today's environment of restaurants and fast food. You know, I hear people say fast food is the cause of obesity. Well, 
no, not really. You can eat there and just be smart about what you eat, like the burger without the bun sort of thing or the chicken salad. There are no evil foods. We just teach people how to figure out how they affect your body.